Good afternoon and welcome. It's a beautiful sunny afternoon somewhere in Western Canada. My name's Brian and I'm chatting this afternoon with Bruce as part of a series of podcasts for the Land Use Planning Course. This is podcast four entitled Determining Significance. So Bruce, what is significance? Yeah, significance is the importance of an environmental effect. But the trouble with that is what actually is significant. Something might be important or significant to one person, but may not be as important to someone else. So for this reason, significant is one of the most important words in the entire process of environmental assessment. And it's also one of the most misused words. You've given me a, a list here of various factors that we should look at when determining significance. It's a, it's a bit of an analytical approach. I think there's nine or ten things, uh, nine, or ten, nine or ten factors. So why don't we go through them uh, individually? Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, and it's all part of a, a process to be analytical about the determining of significance. So the first one is direction of effect. What can you tell me about that? Direction of effect is uh, whether the impact, the expected impact, is likely to be adverse or negative or positive or beneficial. So, uh, so and they so, can be. So, both. can I just stop you there just for a second? So, when you say adverse or negative, th those are synonyms. They mean the same thing. And beneficial and positive are synonyms. They mean the same thing. Right. Okay. Thanks. And adverse means it causes harm to the environment, but some are beneficial as well. And so a good example of a negative impact is the degradation of fish habitat and the resulting de decline in the fish population resulting from a poorly designed culvert. If it's too high, the fish can't migrate along the spout of water that's, that's produced at the end of it. Uh, if we develop a new sanitary waste landfill in a community, however, to replace a poorly designed garbage dump that was there before, the, there are a number of good effects, uh, beneficial effects, such as the decline in odor, uh, pests like rats and birds carrying waste hither and thither, and groundwater pollution. These are all good things when we reduce them. But uh, so in, in these types of projects, the environmental positives need to be weighed against the negatives if there are any. This discussion ties back well to uh, stuff we talked about in podcast 1B where we said that all projects have some positive and negatives, and in this case, it's weighing one against the other. The second factor on the list is magnitude. What does that mean? Magnitude is how severe the, the effect is. What degree of harm will actually occur to the air or water or plants or animals? Or what portion of the animal or plant population is likely to be affected? So for example, a large spill of gasoline which kills 80% of the fish in a water course, would be an example of a high magnitude impact. And it would be of greater magnitude than a kill of 20%. So to measure magnitude, we can rely on scientific measurements, including studies and monitoring, and indigenous knowledge of people who have been associated with the environment for generations. Again, this, this discussion ties back nicely to podcast three, where we talked about the, the benefit and, uh, and importance of traditional ecological knowledge or indigenous knowledge. The next factor on, on the list that you've given me is area affected. What does that mean? The area affected is how widespread 
the impacts might be. So effects that occur over a large area are going to be more significant than those that occur over a small area. So for example, the loss or degradation of 100 square meters of spawning habitat is more significant than the loss of 10 square meters of similar habitat. And a large area of eroding soil is more significant than a small eroded area. So we may need to ask, are the impacts just important locally, or are they regionally, or even nationally significant? Again, this, is, this ties back to one of our earlier conversations about a, a road development that you were involved uh, in, in in northeastern Brazil, where the, uh, the erosion uh, wasn't only uh, taking place where the bridges were built, but was also uh, an effect or a result of mining of clay. So that, that takes, uh, takes account or looks into where or spatial extent. What about time or duration? Yeah, the, the duration is how long the adverse effects are likely to last. Are they short-term or long-term? So long-term or frequent adverse environmental effects are most often significant, while those that last for only a brief period or only once may not be as significant. So pollution of groundwater with diesel oil, for example, would be a long-term impact because it would take years or decades for it to disappear through natural processes. The clearing of an embankment to construct a bridge crossing of a watercourse would be a short-term impact, provided this proper stabilization and revegetation measures were done right away. I wonder, though, uh, can, can adverse effects be reversed? Is reversibility a factor? Yeah, definitely. Um, reversibility asks how difficult will it be to relieve the adverse effect. So this comes into pl play a lot in contaminated lands. And the objective for contaminated lands is remediation to clean it up. So here we ask, would it be possible even to reverse the effect through remediation? And if so, how difficult technically would it be? Is it new science or uh, conventional science that would, that would uh, come into in play here? Sure. How costly it would be is also a factor and how long it would take. So uh, cleaning up the poll pollution of soil or groundwater with a toxic chemical or a leaking underground tank, for example, is most often technically difficult, costly, and may take a long time. It could also release vapors during excavation and disturb nearby communities. We have to see that in towns and cities with uh, abandoned uh, gas stations, petrol stations, don't we? That's right. Where the soil or, or the, the parcel sits vacant for many, many years. Yeah, and can be very costly and very long-term to clean it up. What about ecological harm? I notice that's the next factor on the list. So here we look at the effects of the impact could cause within the whole ecosystem. So what will happen to plants or animals or people as a result from this effect? Are important members of the food chain affected? Has the ecosystem already been stressed by human activities and can't take any more? Is the ecosystem fragile with little ability to tolerate stresses? And can it recover? Are rare and endangered species likely to be affected, putting them at even more risk? Is it safe to say that some ecosystems are much more fragile than others? That's right. So, for example, uh, wetlands are often fragile ecosystems. And they may easily be spoiled by pollution or drying out because of land clearing. The next factor on our list is uh, to, to be considered when looking at the significance uh, of an effect is regulatory violations. What does that mean? 
It means uh, whether the activity and the resulting impact potentially violate any law. So uh, this needs to be considered in determining the significance. So for example, the discharge of a pollutant like diesel fuel into a stream used by fish could be a violation of the Federal Fisheries Act. And another example is the leakage of PCBs into the environment, which could be a contravention of the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. So those are both pieces of federal legislation. Should we also be considering any, uh, any enactments from the First Nation, any bylaws, regulations, or policies that the First Nation has? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that would come into the equation as well. Uh, good. The next factor is renewable resources, and I take it we're making a distinction between renewable and non-renewable? That, that's right. So natural resources would include things like agriculture or fishing, hunting, trapping, gathering, timber harvesting, and even potentially uh, tourism. So for example, polluting a stream could affect the survival, growth, and taste of fish, which could have effects on the food or livelihood of people. And developments such as pipelines, access roads, and seismic lines can affect the success of hunting or trapping when they affect the animals or their habitats. I recall earlier, I think it was in either podcast 1A or 1B, we talked about the, the, the environment being all-encompassing, not simply being biophysical, but also being social and cultural. So how is sociocultural importance a factor? Yeah, so this is where we take into account the effect on people, whether it be an individual, like that trap, someone who runs a trap line, for example, or at the family level, like in the blueberries, or the whole community. So this would include things like uh, traditional, historical, cultural, or economic effects. And um, a new waste management station, for example, may result in cleaner air and less smoke and so forth, less litter. But the noise of machinery could cause disturbance to nearby homes and families, like I gave in the previous example. So uh, for important examples might be the loss or disturbance of traditional hunting grounds, gathering sites, ceremonial grounds, trap lines, old trails, graves, and archaeological elements. These are all effects that are significant primarily due to their historical and cultural importance. And I, I don't want to drag our discussion right now down into the world of statistics, but what about probability? Is likelihood an issue? Yeah, likelihood or probability is something to consider. So uh, a, an effect that's more likely to occur is more significant than one that is unlikely to occur. Let's conclude this podcast then with uh, an example. I know you have a lot of experience in, uh, in Alberta and, and BC and elsewhere. Can you give us a, an example? Yeah, and, and I chose this example because it, it gives an illustration of the analytical kind of approach that we're taking to determine significance. So uh, even though I was, wasn't involved in it personally, as I understand it, in a certain place in a traditional area of a First Nation, a pipeline leaks synthetic oil and dilement into a marshy area feeding a fish-bearing watercourse. But by the time it was discovered and shut off, about a thousand liters, at least a thousand liters of oil had entered the marshy area and eventually this, the stream. There are a large number of dead fish and spoiled marsh vegetation found in the following days, and traces of oil could be detected for several hundred meters downstream. So the pipeline owner said at the time, well, you know, it's an uh, isolated place, it's, it's only muskeg, uh, it's not significant. 
And the people were not amused because they knew that muskeg is important ecologically. In fact, it's been said that the muskeg is really Mother Nature's lungs. And when you, when you say the people, you mean the First Nation, the community. That's right, sure. yeah, whose traditional area it was. So um, I'm going to use our method to, to determine how significant this uh, effect might have been. So it would have been high in magnitude because it killed a large number of fish and contaminated a large area of marsh and spoiled spawning habitat in the stream for an estimated several hundred meters. The release of hydrocarbon had a serious ecological effect at all levels of the food chain and caused serious damage to the marsh and creek ecosystems. Cleaning up hydrocarbons from marshy areas is very difficult to remediate without causing even more habitat disturbance. Therefore, the effects would last for a long time. The discharge to a fish-bearing stream would violate several regulations, both federal and provincial, such as the Fisheries Act, which makes it an offense to despoil fish habitat. Because the stream was an important traditional fishing area, it had high cultural importance as well. So we can say on all counts in this example that the pipeline leak had a significant adverse impact on an ecological and culturally important marsh ecosystem. That's a very good example, although kind of a sad story. Uh, let's conclude with the, uh, with the conclusion. What was the upshot of this spill? Well, it was very much uh, <laughs> in doubt. I mean, it, it, it drives me nuts when people say it's only muskeg, because really what we're talking about is important wetland habitat. So uh, I always ask people to change the, you know, the terminology of muskeg to important marshland habitat. Um, and was it cleaned up? It was claimed to be cleaned up, but in my experience, it's extremely hard to uh, clean up oil from a muskeg area because of the fluid nature of it. And uh, even though the operator claimed to have it all cleaned up, uh, my suspicion is that uh, if they got 50% out of it, they're probably doing pretty well. Well, once again, I've enjoyed this chat, uh, Bruce. I suspect the students will enjoy it as well. And stay tuned for Podcast 5. Bye.